We're in Luke 14 still, and we will be in Luke for a while, down in, into Luke 17. And there are a number of sections here in the kind of the middle of Luke that are unique to his gospel. And so while in the past we've had lots of times where there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or other kinds of arrangements between the gospels, we'll be in Luke exclusively for some time. Let's remind ourselves where we are here in Luke 14. Our passage starts in verse 12, but it begins in verse 1. It happened that when Jesus went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. So Jesus is here in a not just a Pharisee's house, but a leader of the Pharisee's houses, and it seems to be sort of a hostile place. They're watching him closely to see whether he would heal this man as an example. In verse 2, a man who had dropsy or edema, he had a swelling of his tissues, and Jesus heals him, and the people make no reply. He's also talking in verse 7 and following about those who want to get the highest position at the, the, at the table to see who is the most important person. Jesus says, no, you need to be humble. Go to the bottom of the table, and then you get moved up. Don't go to the top and get moved down. Well, now we get to our text, verse 12. He also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they might also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and there is still, still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges, and compel them to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. We have here in the first portion, verses 12 to 14, some commands regarding generosity. First of all, Jesus gives a negative command, that is, don't do this. Luke 14, 12 He also went on to say to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. Now it says here, he was saying to the one who invited him, so he's speaking primarily to this leader of the Pharisees, but the other ones were hearing it, of course. And this statement Jesus makes here sounds shocking at first, doesn't it? When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Sounds pretty, pretty strict. Uh, but when we see statements like this, we need to understand this lesson of biblical interpretation to compare scripture with scripture. Sometimes Jesus will speak in this way, and he doesn't mean it literally all the time, that we, we can never invite friends to 
to lunch, for example, they're not absolute prohibitions. One of the popular ones nowadays is you may have told somebody, hey, you really shouldn't be doing that. And they might respond, judge not lest you be judged, right? Jesus said that. So they see it as an absolute prohibition. You must never judge anybody for any reason whatsoever. But that's not what Jesus means there in that passage. But people will take that out of context and say, this is Jesus' absolute prohibition against judging. It's really a way of getting people off your back, right? If you're sitting, you don't want people to, to, to call you out. So you just tell them, don't judge. You're the problem, not me. Uh, another statement Jesus will say, just a, a few verses, we'll look at this next week, verse 26 of Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That sounds pretty harsh, pretty unloving, right? If I woke up this morning and my wife said, honey, I hate you. And she said, what? Well, Jesus says, I must hate you, so I hate you, because I want to be his disciple. Well, that's not what it says. That would contradict things like Ephesians 5 and many other about loving your wife and so forth. So we, we need to understand the context. We, we know that there are many passages of Scripture that talk about hospitality, not just to the poor, but to our friends, to our family. And if we don't take care of our family, then it says we're worse than an unbeliever, right? If we took Jesus' words here in Luke 14 as an absolute, we would never show Christian or even family hospitality. But what's Jesus getting at here? He's talking in these, these strong terms to get people to, to pay attention, to listen. These Pharisees and, and lawyers, these important people in the society, these reciprocal, that is, I give you an invitation, you give me one. These reciprocal invitations were the norm for these men, and they weren't concerned for the needy. So one week I have a, a big shindig at my house, invite all my friends, and next week it's another guy's turn, and we kind of rotate through, and nobody outside my little clique here is of any importance to us. We're only serving ourselves. And so Jesus is using this hyperbolically strong term in Luke 14 to get people's attention. Listen to what I'm saying. So that's a negative command. Don't do this. Don't give these luncheons, these receptions for these people who will repay you. But, verse 13 says, a positive command, when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And these are probably the last sorts of people these proud Pharisees would want to have at their banquet table. We have here the crippled, that is maimed or mutilated, and lame or, or similar. These would be people who are limited in their ability to walk. Maybe they can't walk at all. They need special help to get to the, the banquet hall, or the blind for that matter. They might need somebody to lead them to the banquet. In that society, and even ours today, but probably more than, you're judged by the company you keep. And so if you have a reception, the more distinguished your guests, the more important you appear. You'd imagine uh, nowadays you have a, a great banquet and somebody comes in and you say, let me introduce you to uh, Senator Johnson and Judge Smith and Dr. Jones and so forth. You're introducing all these important people and the person says, wow, you have a lot of really important friends. But now imagine a banquet, you come in and somebody enters with you and you say, let me introduce you to my friend. This is this is the poor poor man here and here's my friend who's, who's crippled and here's a, here's a lame man over here. And here's a few blind folks over here. And if there's, you have sort of a proud guest with you, what are they going to think? This guy really has sort of low friends. He's not very important. But Jesus, as often, turns society's norms on their head. 
instead of being judged by the, the greatness of the people that you have around you, be judged by those who might not seem so great in the world's eyes that you are giving to. And Jesus says there's a reward for this kind of generosity. Verse 14, Jesus says, You will be blessed. You invite these people who are the outcasts of society since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, in these days, of course, the poor, in particular the crippled, the lame, the blind, they would have limited opportunities to earn money. They would very often just have to sit on the street and beg, wouldn't they? And they would have no way to repay an invitation to a great banquet like this. They could barely feed themselves, much less feed many people. The men at this Pharisee's banquet should have known, though, God's special regard for the poor and that he rewards the generous. Way back in Deuteronomy, remember these were the experts in the law. Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 to 10. God says, If there is a poor man who is with you, one of your brothers in any of your towns and your land which the Lord your God is giving you, You shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need and whatever he asks. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of remission is near, and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother, and you give him nothing that he may cry out to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin to you. Let me just give a background here. They would have this cycle. So at the end of every seventh year, you would forgive all the debts. And so you might think, well, in year one, I'll, I'll be generous because that's, you know, I, I might get the money back or I might not anyway. But when you have year seven coming around, you know you're not going to get that money back because they're not going to have a chance to repay you before the, all the, all those loans are forgiven. And so I'm not going to loan any money the sixth or seventh year because I know I won't get it back. Well, God says, don't do that. You give him nothing, he may cry to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin to you. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. So there at the end of verse 10, don't worry about getting paid back. Don't feel sad when they take that money from you or that gift from you. Because it's God who will bless you in your work and undertakings. Have that eternal perspective. Listen to Proverbs 19.17, one of many Proverbs. One who is gracious to the poor man lends to the Lord, and he, that is, the Lord will repay him for his good deed. The poor man probably can't repay you, but the Lord will repay you. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, again, talking about generosity and God rewarding. When you give to the poor... This is Matthew 6, verse 2. When you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as a a hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. What's the reward that they wanted? They wanted, yeah, they wanted accolades for men. They got their reward. But you might want a better reward than that. That kind of acclaim only lasts for a moment. When you give to the poor, verse 3, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So I'd rather have God's eternal reward in secret than man's temporary reward in public. 
Luke 6.35 says, Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. So when you are kind to your enemies, even not necessarily enemies, but those you lend to, God rewards you. God is kind to those who are ungrateful and evil. God gives to those who don't give back. You can do the same thing. So many verses, Old New Testament, talk about how we are to give to those who are poor. And maybe they can't pay us back. Maybe they can. But in any case, God sees and God rewards. And it may not be a reward today. Maybe we don't get rich from God for lending to others. But that's okay. Because our reward that we really seek is the repayment of the resurrection of the righteous. That is, at the end of times, when God raises us, we will be rewarded. This resurrection of the righteous is mentioned a number of times in Scripture, even back in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So there's a resurrection of of life or to everlasting contempt or judgment. John 5, 28, 29, Jesus said this, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Again, the dual resurrection. In this case, in Luke 14, we're looking at the resurrection of the righteous where God will reward us. We can look at 1 Corinthians 15, also, this famous chapter on resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, we even see an explicit mention of the kingdom, as we'll see in in a moment in Luke 14, somebody mentions the kingdom of God. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50. Paul says this, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. That is, this this flesh and blood we have right now can't live forever in God's kingdom. It's not suited for that. It's going to wear away and die. There's a new body. It is physical, but it's not like the bodies we have now in the sense that it will wear away and die. Verse 51 continues, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the, last, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal shall put on immortality. So, to be fit for this kingdom, where we repay this resurrection, the righteous, we must have a new body. So Jesus says here, when you invite those who can't repay you, don't worry about that payment coming. God will repay you at the resurrection of the righteous. Now back to Luke 14. We have here... Now, an irrelevant interruption. An irrelevant interruption. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus has just mentioned receptions and blessing and the resurrection of the just. So this guest tries to add his own contribution to the discussion, or maybe he's trying to change the subject. Remember, these are are Pharisees or lawyers or people who have just been called out by Jesus in several ways. At the, at the dinner, and Jesus says, don't invite all, all your friends to banquets, invite the poor, and so forth. 
How do you think that landed in this group of people? Probably not very well. You ever been at a, at a, a dinner where somebody says something that's, uh, oh geez, this is offensive, but something that, that's just out there and people say, how do we respond to this? Sort of this, this dead quiet. What do I say? And there's always somebody who has to <laughs> break the silence somehow. This man decides he's going to break the silence by saying, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Maybe trying to shift the discussion a bit. Jesus is hitting too close to home with these condemnations of my greed and my, my pride. Maybe I'll change the subject to the kingdom of God. It's interesting to study in Luke. There are several times where we get these interruptions. Jesus is talking and somebody interrupts him, often with an irrelevant statement. But Jesus uses them as a way to correct wrong thinking sometimes or to give further instruction. You might remember Luke 11, 27 and 28, Jesus was talking and while Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Jesus takes these, uh, takes these so well. If I, if I were speaking right now and somebody just started shouting out questions at me, interrupting my, my lesson, I'd probably get a little annoyed, especially if they were trying to shift the discussion. But Jesus takes them in stride and then he he uses them as a way to, to either correct people or to help people understand further what the truth is. Luke 11, again, Jesus has just pronounced a number of woes on the Pharisees, and one of the lawyers said to him in reply, so he interrupts Jesus' list of woes here, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. And so Jesus doesn't say, Oh, sorry, I, I didn't mean to hurt anybody. Now, he pronounces woes on the lawyers as well. I said before, this man should have kept his mouth shut. Another time, when Jesus is speaking, he's interrupted again. Luke 12, 13. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And then Jesus warned that man about greed. So Jesus takes these interruptions, again, in stride, and he uses them to help people, to correct people, to instruct people. He does the same thing here in Luke 14. And we'll look at Jesus' response in a moment. But what about this man's statement? Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Is that wrong? Not at all. He's right in what he says. This is something that people, God's people, should eagerly look forward to. There's even a reference to this banquet in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah 25, starting in verse 6. By the way, notice the scope of this. Isaiah 25, verses 6 to 9. It's not just for the Jews, but it's for all people. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God, for whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord, for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So we long for this day, we look forward to this day, we wait for this day. We see that in verse 9. We wait for God's banquet, among other things. And so God has promised in the Old Testament 
that there's going to be this great banquet for all peoples in his kingdom. In the New Testament, we have just seen in Luke 13, just a chapter before, Jesus talks about coming from east and west and from north and south and those who will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And Revelation 19.9 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Sounds a lot like what this man has said. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So what this man said was true, but the more important thing is making sure you're one of those who are at this banquet, right? It is a blessing, but are you in that blessing? Are you one of those blessed people? I'm sure this man in Luke 14 figured he was one of those people who would be there, otherwise he would have made that statement. Who better, in his mind, than this group of rich, distinguished guests, these lawyers, Pharisees, all these these great men, who else would God want to invite to his banquet? But looking, we don't know who this man is, of course, but considering that these guests, these lawyers, these Pharisees, like to pick out places of honor at the table, and they're watching Jesus closely to condemn him when he tries to heal on the Sabbath and so forth. This man was probably not a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And so he should think carefully about his place in God's kingdom. Just because he has lots of money, lots of respect, just because he's a Jew, he's a Pharisee, doesn't mean he's going to be at the table in God's kingdom. And so Jesus responds with this parable, the parable of the banquet. Let me just read these verses again, Luke 16, 14, 16 to 24. But he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Now this sounds a lot like Matthew 22. Let's look at that parable as well. There's some similarities and some differences. And we won't go into great detail. But listen to Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. Here's another parable. and This is specifically about a marriage feast. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business, And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. 
those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man who was not dressed in wedding clothes. He said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So this Matthew parable, some say it's kind of the same thing, maybe different occasion, but there are enough differences, I think, to indicate this was a different occasion for sure. Uh, Matthew's is more specific. We have here a king who gives a wedding feast for his son, and in Luke 14, it's just a banquet of a rich man. It's also, in Matthew 22, it's more violent. We have verse 6. Some people who were invited seized the slaves and mistreated them and killed them. Verse 7, the king was enraged. He sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. In Luke 14, the, the head of the household is angry, but he doesn't kill anybody as a result. And it's also kind of grim here in Matthew 22 because we have here this man who was at the wedding feast but didn't have the right clothes, and so this man was bound head and, hand and foot and thrown into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Matthew 22, again, is a similar kind of lesson, but um, more specific, more violent, and really more grim. But I think it's interesting to compare and contrast these two. Back to Luke 14, we see first, as Jesus gives this parable, we see some invitations. The invitations, verse 16. He said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. So we have this big dinner, a great banquet, presumably hosted by a great and a very rich man. And many have been invited, it says here, and presumably they have accepted the invitation. And it's, it's kind of like we have today. There's a double invitation. You have the, the invitation that says, please come at this time, and then once the, the food is ready, they will give you a second invitation. That's, so the first one's like an RSVP. Some of you are planning a wedding right now, and you want to know, how who's going to come? i got to order food. So you make the invitation, and they say, well, we're coming, we're not coming, we're coming, we have a plus one, whatever it is. These are the people. So you know, as you're going to prepare the food, how much you need, who's coming. If you've got a bunch of people who don't show up, then you have a lot of wasted food, and plus there's a discourtesy to your host. Unless there's an emergency, you say you're going to be there, you be there. Though once the invitations go out at first, they have the orders, and now they can prepare the meat, and that, of course, takes some time. They didn't have the same kind of uh, facilities as they have today to make all this food. Um, they didn't have sterno and that kind of thing, you know, keep stuff warm at the table. But they, they needed to know how many people are coming so that they can get the, the, number, the amount of food right. I found this interesting. One author says this as to how many, or what kind of food you prepare for the number of people. And so the, the host would decide on the killing or butchering of a chicken for, for uh, of chicken or two for two to four guests, or a duck if you had five to eight, or a kid, not a child, but a, a goat or a, a lamb, 10 to 15 acceptances, or a sheep, if there are 15 to 35 people, or a calf, if there are 35 to 75. So depending on who's going to be there, 
how many people are going to be there, you have to decide what animal you want to slaughter. And then when all that food is ready, they send a servant to let the guests know, okay, the, the food's ready, come on out, get, get it while it's hot. Well, now the slave is sent out to, to get these people who had been invited. They RSVP had said, yes, we're coming, and now they decide they're not going, they're not going to. They make excuses. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And these are not very good excuses. It's not like, well, uh, I was in the hospital. I, I had a sudden attack of some sickness. I can't come. I, they, they are even, even sort of sound dishonest, I think. And there's no reason why these people couldn't come to this banquet. Now, the first one here, he says, I bought a piece of land and I need to go look at it. But he wouldn't buy a piece of land without looking at it first, or even if he hadn't seen the land. And if you bought a house or a piece of property without looking at it first, not likely. Even if you hadn't seen it, you could certainly wait till the next day, couldn't you? It's not that urgent where you have to look at it right now. The second one here had bought five yoke of oxen. That is five pairs of oxen. He's going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Again, he wouldn't buy these oxen without testing them first. And have you bought a car without test driving it? I hope not. You better. Um, the oxen could wait till after the banquet. They didn't need to be tested out right then. And this third one here, couldn't he just spend a few hours away from his wife? Many commentators note that there's a provision in the Deuteron- uh, in Deuteronomy regarding those who had just gotten married and their army service. Deuteronomy 24, verse 5, says, When a man takes a new wife, he shall not go out with the army, nor be charged with any duty. He shall be free at home one year, and shall give happiness to his wife whom he has taken. But this is an invitation to a banquet. It's not a call to the army. This guy could leave his wife for a few hours, go to the banquet, and enjoy some time, um, then see his wife later. So this is, again, a kind of a lame excuse. And again... We expect this man has already accepted his invitation. Did he get married in the meantime? Did he elope since he got the the invitation? No, he knew he had this banquet on his calendar. He should have gone anyway. And at least the first two men are more polite. They say, please consider me excused. The third one just says, I cannot come. I, I can't come. And the lameness of these excuses shows a lack of respect for this generous host and the unimportance of this banquet to them. If they really wanted to be there, if they really loved this host, they would do it. They wouldn't make up bad excuses, even dishonest excuses. You'd think they might at least want this magnificent full meal and the honor of being the invited guest of this important person. This is not some uh, person of low uh, social standing. He's, he's rich. He gives this big banquet with many people. I mean, it's the kind of place that you want to be there. You want to boast, hey, I was at so-and-so's party yesterday. He invited me, personally. But these excuses show that these people have no regard for the host or for his food. So we have, after this, imagine this, this great man in this banquet hall sitting there all by himself. All this food's ready to come, to, to be eaten, and nobody is there. How does he react? Well, he gives a summons. Verse 21, the slave came back and reported this to his master. 
Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. The host here says he's angry. He's angry at the insults and the lies from his invited guests. Every one of them has come up with an excuse to not be there. But instead of canceling the whole thing, he turns their refusal into an opportunity to help other people. There's all this food and all the other preparation. He doesn't want it to go to waste. So he invites the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And note that's the same categories as Jesus mentions in verse 13. It's a slightly different order. The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind in verse 13. Here it's the poor, the crippled, and blind and lame. So this, this man invites these people, these outcasts of society. And it says here that from the city, go to the streets and lanes of the city and bring these people in. And there's still space. There's more room in your hall. So he tells the slave, go and keep getting guests from outside the city. Go to the highways along the hedges and do that until the hall is filled. So these highways, these major roads outside of the city and in the hedges, these are places where people who didn't have any other shelter could live under this, this great bush of some kind, perhaps. They have no special homes. They're very poor. And it says the slave is to bring in the poor, crippled, blind, and lame, verse 21, and in verse 23, compel them to come in. This kind of invitation to the outcasts from a great man would be unbelievable to them, and they'd need some convincing, wouldn't they? Sorry, is there a question? That's right. Yeah, you see that shortly. These people wouldn't have time to prepare themselves. You find somebody in a hedge today, living in a hedge. Are they going to have fancy clothes? Are they going to be nicely washed and shaved? Um, are they going to believe you when you say, imagine, let's say you had a situation today where you know, a mayor of a city or the president of the United States goes out and invites all the homeless people into, his, into the White House. They're not going to believe that, are they? And they're not going to have an opportunity to get dressed properly, get get shaved, cleaned up, and all that, to be properly um, attired for this great feast. And so you might need to. They're going to say, "What? Are you kidding me? That that's not right. This has got to be some kind of joke. Where's the hidden camera?" But this man, this this head of household, is so generous. He wants to bring these people in. He ordinarily might not. Who ordinarily wouldn't fit into his banquet hall. This group of people, what they are in society's terms, is of no consequence to him. He doesn't care. He just wants to fill his banquet hall and give the maximum blessings to share this food and this time with them. Well, then we say, we see finally here the exclusions, the exclusions. Luke 14, verse 24. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. That's easy to skip over these words. Uh, for I tell you, but it's interesting, I think, to look at them, because Jesus says it often in Luke. It's used many times in Luke when Jesus wants to emphasize a point. Like in John, Jesus often says, truly, truly, I say to you. And when you see truly, truly, I say to you, you think, pay attention. When you see I tell you in Luke, 
pay attention. Jesus is saying something especially important. Just listen to a few examples. Luke 12, 5. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Luke twelve fifty one. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. And Luke thirteen three and five. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And one last one. Luke thirteen twenty four. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So Jesus is, when he says, I tell you, we know he's telling us, right? You might say, of course you're telling us, you're speaking to us. But he's saying this as a way of saying, listen to me. I'm telling you something important. Pay attention. So what's the point then of this parable? None of these men who have been invited shall taste my dinner. That They're outside the hall. Too late. Once you've made your decision, you're not coming in. I've started the dinner, you're out. Well, the the parable, I think, is pretty clear. We have these people who are invited to God's table, that is, to salvation, to dine in the kingdom of God, but they find excuses to be somewhere else. And in particular, the kingdom of God has arrived in the person of God's Son. He has appealed to the Jews for years now, and very few follow him. He he keeps inviting them, inviting them, inviting them. Uh, We even see here, Uh, Verse 34 of Luke 14, Jesus is lamenting over Jerusalem, saying, How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. I kept inviting you, but you wouldn't come. And you might think that the ones who knew the Bible the best, the Old Testament the best, these elites, these most educated, the scribes, the Pharisees, the lawyers, these who were the outwardly most pious, they would accept God's Son, the one that was been promised in the Old Testament, and yet those are the ones who reject him most strongly. So they won't come when they're invited. They've been invited. They might even said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. But then when the invitation comes and the person of their son, God's son, they don't come. They find excuses to not be there. And so God's invitation goes out more widely to those you might think that he wouldn't want at his feast. Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. We have here the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So instead of the Pharisees and scribes being inside God's banquet hall, they see the tax collectors and sinners following Christ, and they don't like that. But God has invited those tax collectors and sinners, in in this sense, to be at his banquet. There's also those outside the city, in in the hedges, along the highways, You might think this is the Gentiles. And we can see this in Acts 13. This is something that was referred to earlier. Acts 13, verse 44. Paul is preaching, remember, primarily, when he comes comes to a new place, he preaches primarily to the Jews and then expands to the Gentiles as he gains a foothold in a particular area. Acts 13, verse 44. The next Sabbath... Nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So, 
at this point, Paul says, okay, you guys had your shot. I invited you to, to come into God's kingdom. You've rejected that. You've blasphemed. You've rep- you have repudiated it and judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. So they turn to the Gentiles. Verse 47, for so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So we have the Jews on the one hand who should have received the word of Paul. They didn't, they rejected it, but the Gentiles received that word with rejoicing. So they came when they were summoned to this great banquet hall. And they followed Paul. They heard the voice of this servant of God, Paul, and came, were compelled to come into God's kingdom. This wide invitation to all was Jesus' work too, wasn't it? Jesus didn't focus on just the elites, but listen to Luke 7.22. Remember John's disciples wanted to know, are are you the, the one, in fact, John wanted to know this himself. And Jesus answered and said to these disciples, Go report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So this this wideness in the, the proclamation of God's invitation was Jesus' great work. Even in Luke 7.22, we see the poor, we see the blind, we see the lame, as Jesus has talked about in Luke 14. And the truth is, that all of us are spiritually poor and crippled and blind and lame. It's true of the Pharisees and the, the scribes, the lawyers at this dinner, but they didn't see themselves that way. They saw themselves as the elite, the ones who didn't need any healing from Jesus. They were already in the kingdom. They, they, were, they were there by virtue of their, their background, their, their Jewishness, or their, their study of God's word. The fact that they were Pharisees and scribes and so forth. They thought they were in and how they treated other people didn't really matter at all. But look back at Luke 13. We've just seen this in previous weeks. We have another picture of dinner in the kingdom of God. Luke 13, 25. says this, Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us, he, then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then he will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. He will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out, they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. So we have this great banquet hall. Inside, you see God himself, and we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the prophets there. And people from all over the world, Gentiles, there reclining with God, and yet there are some who will be on the outside looking in. They've been invited, but it says, verse 28, you yourselves are thrown out. They're, they're looking in the windows, you might say, and wishing they had listened to that call, wanting to be part of that banquet, but they're not. And so these scribes and Pharisees in Luke 14 are outside God's banquet hall. They may think they're in, but they're not. When the time comes, they're going to be wishing they had listened to the invitation from Christ and his people to follow him. So if we come full circle to this man's comment in verse 15, he says, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. 
Yes, it will be a great blessing, but will you be at the feast or will you be on the outside looking in? And that's the great question we need to ask ourselves this morning. Let me just end with a few points of application. First of all, from the first portion of this lesson, do you give only to those who can give back to you? Do you find ways to help the poor, those who can't repay you, especially in the sphere of the, the, the kingdom of God, God's people? We saw earlier in Deuteronomy 15, verse 11 says, The poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy, and the poor in your land. You also have those in Matthew 25. Um, Jesus says, I was hungry, and had you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And the people answered and said, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So uh, an evidence of God's work in our life is how do we treat those who can't repay us, those who are poor? In Galatians 2.10 Paul mentions that Peter and the apostles asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. That's a, a big factor in many of Paul's letters is making a collection for the poor in Jerusalem. And as we think of how we can help people who are poor, who are poorer than us, we can also look to the reward. And it may not be in this life. Maybe they don't pay us back. Maybe they never, never invite us to dinner either. But you may not even get thanks from them. But you will be paid, as Jesus says, at the resurrection of the righteous. So we can all, I think, have regular ways to share and even to have extra money to help when needs arise. Somebody says, I need money for, for something, and we can help them from what, has been, what God has blessed us with. One last verse in this topic. First Timothy six seventeen to 19 Paul says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And when we think about the poor in Jesus' day, and we think, well, it would be nice if we had more money ourselves, there are very few people in the United States who are poor like the people in Jesus' time were poor. And so all of us who are here who have multiple sets of clothes and have um, many of us have cars to get us here and so many other things. We are, compared to people in these days, very rich, aren't we? We have a lot to be thankful for materially. And God has given us a lot that we can share with other people. Um, when you have a, a windfall, you get some unexpected money, is your first thought, I know I can buy that stuff I've been wanting to get for a long time? Or is it, what a blessing I can share with other people? what God has given to me. doesn't mean we have to live at subsistence level or give everything away, but where is your focus? And this is a, something I need to think of for myself. Where is, as we, as we make our budgets, as we think about where we spend our money, how much of that thought goes into how can we help other people and how much of it is how much can I give to myself? How much can I reward myself instead of helping others? Another thing to ask ourselves as we look at this passage in Luke 14, are you someone who has offered 
an excuse not to come to Christ. We have these three excuse makers in this parable. A couple of them valued their things more than the banquet. One valued his wife more than the banquet. But Jesus is going to say shortly in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And then later, Luke 14, 33, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. So people may value their things or their relationships more than Christ. And that may be an excuse. Maybe I want to have fun for now. I want to earn my money. Um, whatever it might be, I'll follow Christ later. Well, the door might be shut by then. You might not have that opportunity to follow Christ later. So the time to follow him is now. Whatever it is keeping you from Christ, whatever your excuse is, set that aside and repent and follow Jesus. You might ask yourself, though, as, as you maybe picture yourself as this poor person living in a hedge and this slave of a great man comes to you and invites you to a feast, you might say, well, I'm not ready for that. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not well-dressed enough. I'm not rich enough to accept this gift from this man. And that's the truth. None of us are. We are not worthy of this invitation of God's gracious love to us, inviting us to his banquet to know him and to enjoy fellowship with him forever. But that's the point, isn't it? That's why God has to invite us. That's why God sent his son, so that we could be made ready for the, this marriage supper of the Lamb. We could be cleaned. We can't clean ourselves up to get ready for God. We must rely on his providing us with the righteous robes from Christ to clean us, to make us worthy to be in his banquet. Well, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this word from Jesus, even even hard words from Jesus. We know that we all are selfish at times. We we want to get stuff and enjoy this stuff, and we focus on these things that are are transitory, that won't last. And we we love them more than we should. We indulge ourselves more than we should. We keep our eyes on our own needs more than the needs of those around us. We pray you would help us to find ways to to bless the poor, especially those of, of your people, to know how to help them in the right way, to show the love of, of God to them, and not even worry about being paid back, but to look ahead to the reward. We do look forward to that time when we can be with you and enjoy this fellowship with you unhindered forever. We pray for anyone who has made excuses to not follow Christ, who has loved their things more than you, we pray they would repent even now, see the urgency of this call from Jesus, that they might believe today, have their sins washed away, and be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that they might enter your banquet hall and feast with you forever. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.